0: Today, from the Global Lane, Communist China's new wave of Christian persecution.
1: You're seeing the continuation of the Xi Jinping regime uh, becoming a full Mao regime.
0: American anti-Semitism rising,
2: no longer confined to Jew-hating bigots. We're looking at university professors, we're looking at broadcasters, we're looking at social media influencers, we're looking at people with, with real authority and social credibility who are now not afraid to use their lecterns and their platforms. Revival spreading.
0: Is America on the threshold of a spiritual great awakening?
3: There's certainly a hunger for it. All signs are pointing that wave.
0: My shadow is pink. The Church of England introduces four-year-olds to gender fluidity and same-sex attraction.
1: Her shadow, she hides it. Her shadow likes girls. And
0: it's all right here on the Global Lane. A new wave of persecution in China and Myanmar and attempts to quash dissent. In China... Communist officials are stepping up raids against one of the country's larger churches as part of the so-called stability maintenance measures ahead of the National People's Congress. And in Myanmar, more atrocities there as soldiers destroy a village in the central part of the country, raping women, beheading 17 villagers. Also, authorities recently arrested a Baptist pastor there. Well, here to fill us in on what's happening is former U.S. International Religious Freedom Ambassador Sam Brownback. Ambassador Brownback currently serves as co-chair of the International Religious Freedom Summit. Mr. Ambassador, I'd like to say it's good to talk with you again, but this certainly is not good news. Tell us what is happening in China and why.
1: You're seeing the continuation of the Xi Jinping regime uh, becoming a full Mao regime is really what's happening. I mean, he's just, what he's doing right now is he's using the current technology he has to do what Mao did in the Cultural Revolution. It's just tightening down the whole uh, situation, going after faith communities in particular. Uh, and uh, and you're seeing him using it and doing it in a high-tech fashion. Now they're even requiring people to register on their phones to be able to go to church uh, well, that's so they can track them and shut the places down.
0: So some people some people in Washington, I'm sure, especially on Capitol Hill, would say, Sam, we've got bigger problems with China right now than to worry about the early rain
1: covenant church and others. What do you tell them? What should be done? Uh, what I am telling them uh, is that this is the same thing that the Soviet Union did before they broke apart. They went after Jews and evangelicals. They went at them, and we responded, and we said, this is wrong, and it delegitimized the regime. If we can go after the Chinese Communist Party and delegitimize them by virtue of how they treat their own people, their own people of faith, that delegitimizes them to the world. Most of the world is religious. Eighty percent of the world operates by a faith. And now you're taking out from underneath the Chinese Communist Party this very belief in faith, which they don't believe in faith. They are atheists. And it really delegitimizes the regime.
0: And Pastor Wang Yi, has anyone heard from him? He's been uh, in prison now for more than three years simply for leading the Early Rain Covenant Church and writing that manifesto insisting that he and his church will serve God over government. What can you tell us about
1: him? Anything? and nothing new other than they've now arrested the assistant pastor in this supposedly stability maintenance uh, program. Uh, That's a very high-profile church. He's a high-profile pastor. Uh, And uh, uh, he, one day, when the Chinese Communist Party uh, falls, if he wants to, he'll be elected uh, one of the leaders of China by virtue of his willingness to stand up against this regime that's so totalitarian.
0: Also, nearly five dozen members of the persecuted Mayflower Church fled China last year. They're now refugees in Thailand, and they're seeking asylum in the US. Thailand wants to send them back to China. Why the holdup from the Biden administration? What is Congress, anyone doing about this
1: to help these people? I I don't know what the holdup is. And this one, to me, makes no sense. Uh, Here are people that are clearly persecuted for their faith, that clearly qualify for asylum status, Uh, and then are being blocked. And it's such a big issue on religious freedom that we look at as a central human right. This is the human right that you can build the other human rights around because religious freedom is, is a place that people will organize around. Often in these countries, religion is the only institution left that people can organize around. And that's why we really need to push for religious freedom and to stand for it around the world and showcase to people around the world that, that we mean it, and we'll take people that are orig- religious asylees. Also,
0: China's neighbor to the south, Myanmar, also known as Burma. The military junta there has held government control for two years. Now they continue to commit atrocities. So just this week, soldiers beheaded 17 villagers in central Myanmar. The U.S. State Department has spoken out against the arrest three months ago of Baptist pastor Colum uh, Sampson. And you met with him about four years ago, the White House. What can you tell us about him and his case and what should be done about this?
1: He is a wonderful, godly man. He's just a beautiful soul. Uh, He met with the president and went back to Myanmar. And a number of people talked to him and said, you know, are you sure you should go back? He said, yes, I need to be with my people. Uh, And goes back, similar to the bishop in Nicaragua who didn't flee and said, I need to be with the people here. Uh, These are folks that we clearly should be standing up for and doing everything we possibly can to get them free because they're standing for the very right that we treasure and that their people need. And they're not fleeing. They're really the Zelensky's of our era. Uh, People like Reverend Sampson standing up and doing it there at home and paying the price and being sent to prison. And quickly, what do
0: you think our viewers can do to both uh, help China and Myanmar, the Christians there?
1: You know, I I think really speaking out, uh, speaking to your member of Congress, that's a key one, but also pushing on some of these companies that are doing business with China and telling them they shouldn't be doing business with China. It's Western businesses in many respects that are propping up the Chinese Communist Party. And I think we need to be speaking into the business community and writing some of these CEOs of big companies that do business in China, particularly financial institutions, BlackRock, Chase, uh, these institutions that are doing business and propping up China and saying, we don't want you doing that.
0: Okay, Ambassador Sam Brownback, thank you for sharing your time and insights with us. We appreciate it. God bless you. God bless you. Anti Semitism is rising and American Jewish commitment to traditional values and Israel is in decline. 89% of American Jews say anti Semitism is a problem in the U.S. today. Over 25% say they were the victim of an anti Semitic incident last year. Our next guest is concerned about that and what he believes is a decline in Jewish traditions and knowledge. Leo Leibovitz is an author, editor at large at Tablet Magazine host of the weekly Jewish podcast Unorthodox. Leah, it's, it's a pleasure to discuss this with you. So first, a rise in anti-Semitism. Uh, one out of four American Jews say they were a victim of anti-Semitism last year. So why the increase here in America? What
2: do you think? First of all, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, you know, I think it's a, uh, it's a long and sordid story, but put briefly, it's this. Uh, we have always had a scrum of Jew haters in this country, but uh, thankfully, Blessedly, it was a pretty small group of bigots. Uh, What we're seeing in the last 10, 15, 20 years uh, is that to the ranks of the Jew-haters are now added uh, people in previously hallowed positions. We're looking at university professors. We're looking at broadcasters. We're looking at social media influencers. We're looking at people with, with real authority and social credibility who are now not afraid to use their lecterns and their platforms to say things like the sole Jewish state in the world has no right to exist, to say things like Jews, the most uh, persecuted minority in America right now, uh, are somehow privileged and should step back. That I think is news. It's a change. Uh, It's a change in the sort of cultural zeitgeist as well as in the physical uh, behavior and patterns uh, in, in America. And it's one that's sadly taking a lot of Jews, especially liberal Jews, who thought they were they were part of the good fold of the good people, by surprise.
0: Well, I think social media, as you say, probably has played into that as well. So are you concerned about a decline in the commitment of recent generations to traditional Jewish practices and values? Tell us what's
2: happening there. So I'm I'm deeply concerned uh, about that, sir. I think uh, that if you look at uh, American Jews, and I don't think we're different than than uh, Christians and and perhaps Muslims too in this regard, uh, you see a generation of young people uh, that was pretty much raised to treat Judaism like something that you put in an escrow account. Uh, and could worry about that much later. Uh, Not a real thing, not a lived in tradition, not something that you do, but rather some identity that you checked in a box, you went to synagogue three times a year and everything was okay. I think part of this rise in anti-Semitism, part of this uh, kind of noted hatred that you're seeing is uh, gladly, if it has any upside, uh, it's that it's pushing a lot of people to realize that being Jewish is not a possibility doing Jewish uh, is really the only way forward, a real lived-in identity. You have to learn something. You have to do something. You have to represent this faith and live it, embody it, rather than just uh, wear it on like a jacket. And if anything good going to come from this shocking rise in anti-Semitism, Gary, it's this.
0: Well, you were born in Israel from Hersalia. Tell us about Indeed. the decline in commitment to Israel, because it seems that many evangelical Christians— are more concerned than many American Jews about helping and standing
2: with Israel. Why? That is true, and God God bless them for that. Uh, I think Israel is is a very, very special place. I think Israel uh, is not another normal country. Israel really represents the kind of perfect coming together of faith, of family, of nation. And if you care very deeply about these three things— then by default, you care very deeply about Israel. I think the tragedy is that a lot of uh, secular Americans and, and a lot of American Jews count themselves, sadly, in this group. Uh, look at these three pillars. Look at faith, look at family, and look at nation, not as strongholds to be rooted in and to be uh, protective of, but rather as problematic uh, things to grapple with as Source points as focal points for oppression, for uh, regression, for all kinds of bad things. If you regret, if you reject these things, if you reject family, reject faith, reject nationalism, then Israel is the problem for you. If you understand that they are the bedrock. Of human civilization, then Israel is something to embrace, love, and be very proud of.
0: Do you think there's a connection then between this rise in anti-Semitism and a decline in this commitment to Israel, also the Jewish faith? The Maybe younger American Jews think if they become less Jewish, they'll avoid oh, persecution?
2: I think that's absolutely the case. Look, uh, it's never a fun thing uh, or, or a particularly instructive way to see the world uh, in, in binary terms. But I think we're really looking uh, at America right now and seeing two camps, uh, Team A and Team B. You know, On Team A are people who are interested in extreme uh, atomized individualization, who see every interpersonal interaction as necessarily all about power, uh, who worry very much uh, about where this power lies uh, and, and who always want more of it, uh, who speak in the language of you know, victimization and privilege. And then the other team, Team B, and I call it Team B because we're not the people who run the media. We're not the people you will find in the Ivy League universities. We're not the people you will find in the classrooms and boardrooms of this great nation. But in Team B, we believe in family, and we believe in faith, and we believe in the nation. Uh, and, And when we look at these values. Uh, We understand that as complicated as they may be, and as uh, deeply divergent we may be from other people who hold different faiths, uh, we're in this group together fighting, not just for the future of Israel, uh, but for the future of America as well.
0: Yay for Team B. Okay, Leo Leibowitz, Tablet Magazine, host of the Unorthodox Podcast. Thank you for providing those insights. We appreciate it.
2: My pleasure. God bless you.
0: Outpouring or revival? People worldwide are debating the spiritual outpouring at Asbury University. Are we on the edge of another great awakening? And how can we tell if this is the start of it? And what can we do to awaken God's purpose in our hearts and lives? Well, Mark Burrell is the author of the book Rediscovering the American Covenant, Roadmap to Restore America. Mark, it's it's good to have you with us. So first, what do you make of this outpouring at Asbury? It's spreading nationwide, churches, churches. Other universities, even a few secular ones are joining in. Are we on the edge of another great awakening? What do you think?
3: Well, all signs are pointing that way for several reasons. One, there's certainly a hunger for it. A lot of us have been praying for revival in America for a while. And as the cultural decline takes place, as things get worse, it's very natural for there to be a turning back to God. And so I I look at that, I also look at the Jesus Revolution, and uh, we didn't talk about this, but the, the film just came out. I went and saw it last week. I was growing up in the 70s when that occurred. And if you look back over history, if you look at the First Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening that happened in the 1730s, 40s, and 50s, and the second was in the early 1800s, what you tend to see is about 30 or 40 years later, something big happens. And so, of course, in the case of the First Great Awakening, it was the American founding, which was huge. In the case of the Second Great Awakening, it was abolishing slavery, which was equally as huge. And right now, if you're a Christian, you have a Christian worldview and you're looking at what's happening in America, you're praying for a return back to the principles that this nation was founded on, which is going to be a, uh, a big deal for us to work through as a nation which is why I wrote the book, incidentally, to help address that.
0: I know widespread revival, great awakenings, always lead to social change. Now, in your book, you discuss the American Christians who become stagnated in their faith. Others are indifferent about God and Christ. So tell us more about that.
3: Yes, so the book is about really solidifying our citizenship duty that Christians have. And and incidentally, this is our, our duty no matter where we live. It's not just an American thing. Uh, What I did with the book is I went through the Bible. I had questions myself about the legitimacy of the founding. Was it really justifiable if Jesus said you should pay your taxes and the uh, colonists didn't want to pay their taxes? You know, was that really biblically justifiable? So I went through the Bible and did an exhaustive study, just looking at all the verses that had to do with nations and rights and justice and governing. And Gary, I was flabbergasted at all the information I found. And as I lined it up, starting in the Old Testament, actually starting back in Genesis 9, you learned that we have we really have a citizenship responsibility to step forward and lead in the area of civil government, which is completely contrary to what the modern evangelical church says. Their basic theological position is submit and pray. No matter what, just submit and pray, which is, of course, they get that from Romans 13 and from um, uh, 2 Timothy 1. But That's not where we first learn about our citizenship duty. We learn all about that in the Old Testament. And so that's what I do in the book. I lay it all out. I address all these objections. And then more importantly, I show how in America, what makes America truly unique is our Declaration of Independence, which I assert is our national founding covenant, which we need to get back to and discuss as a nation, because it really is what defines us.
0: Why is it important that we understand the meaning of these documents and our Judeo-Christian roots as a nation? Seems like we're forgetting that.
3: Yeah, that's the whole reason for the title, right? Rediscovering the American Covenant. So it's critical, first, as Christians living at our faith, I maintain if you want to aspire to be a mature believer, then you should be involved in governing in your local community, in your state, and in the nation where you live. That is part of living out your faith. And I I lay that out. I describe what that looks like. It doesn't mean that we're all going to political rallies and doing these things, but it does mean that we have a responsibility to vote for people who believe in our national founding covenant. The idea that there is a law of nature and of nature's God, which is a, a description of the moral law that comes right from the Bible. The idea that our rights come from God, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is really our citizenship duty, and that's the argument that I make, and and my target audience for the book primarily are mature believers, pastors, who are looking for a really strong biblical argument for why we are responsible for civil government. So that's the target audience of the book, And, uh, and I'm hoping to engage in a national conversation eventually about our national identity, which comes from Declaration of Independence.
0: Well, this may be the best time. The book is Rediscovering the American Covenant, Roadmap to Restore America. Mark Burrell, thank you for setting us straight today. We appreciate it. Thanks, Gary. 403 years ago, my pilgrim ancestors fled England and set sail on a dangerous journey across the Atlantic to America. You see, they were persecuted by the British crown, which required them to practice their Christian faith in the state church, the Church of England. Today, the Church of England, with government approval, is imposing an extreme unbiblical agenda on the youngest members of British society. According to Christian Concern, A Church of England primary school in Essex, England, introduced four-year-olds to the concept of gender identity on World Book Day. The featured book, My Shadow is Pink. Here's a clip being read on Annie's story time.
1: My dad has a shadow that's blue as can be. And there's nothing but blue in my whole family tree. But mine is quite different. It's not what you think for mine is not blue. My shadow is pink. My shadow loves ponies and books and pink toys, princesses, fairies and things not for boys. But there's one thing it likes most I have found. It loves wearing dresses and dancing around.
0: Parents told Christian Concern their children were directed to engage with the story and explore the themes within it. The children were asked to dress up to reflect how they see their shadow and how they see themselves. At least 25% of 11-year-olds in England struggle with reading. But boy, they can tell you if their shadow is pink or blue. Folks, this is the emasculation of males and LGBTQ grooming of primary school children. And it's being advanced by the Church of England. The Church of England wants to be culturally relevant, but guess what? That isn't working. No wonder the church is expected to fade into extinction within the next 40 years. Meanwhile, a Church of England chaplain fired from his job for preaching a biblical view of gender identity and same-sex relationships is back in the news. Reverend Bernard Randall, formerly of Trent College, says he's appealing his case after an employment tribunal ruled against him. We featured his story two years ago, when the college first suspended him and labeled him a terrorist. Chaplain Russell describes the ruling against him as a blow to free speech and Christian freedoms. Folks, what Trent College and the Church of England failed to realize is their societal reshaping efforts oppressed the faith that made their institutions and their country great. They're replacing one religion with another one extreme secular humanism where people can ignore science and judeo-christian values to become their own god and anyone who stands for biblical truths must be destroyed so let's not be discouraged remember that victory belongs to the lord so keep speaking up praying and standing for god's truth well that's it today from the global lane be sure to follow us on the cbn news and nrb channel social media and our broadcast affiliates and until next time Be blessed.